It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. As energy prices continue to soar and critical minerals needed for clean energy technology are caught in supply chains with China and places like the Congo, the Biden administration has invoked the Defense Production Act to expedite the production of critical minerals here at home. Is that the right solution? Let's go beyond the headlines. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Really pleased to have joining us because he can't stop talking about the Defense Production Act. Bill Rossetti joins us. He's a resident senior fellow with the R Street Institute, studies energy and energy policy. Uh, Phil, this just does not seem to go away. We keep coming back to the Defense Production Act. Uh, for our listeners, just give them a quick reminder. What is the Defense Production Act and why is it impacting us like this today? Thanks for having me uh, again. You know, the Defense Production Act, you know, we keep talking about it, but now the kind of the core understanding of it is this is this Cold War law, which was intended to allow the government to intervene in markets in situations where there was a clear national security need. So the idea was that, you know, for being invaded, you know, get like Ford and these car manufacturers start building tanks instead of uh, cars without having to wait for some other sort of process in place. And we've used it in the past, you know, there's there were times when they wanted to avoid concentration of industries that could be susceptible to attack. Uh, most commonly, it's used for like disaster relief and things like that, where it's pretty uncontroversial and you're just kind of avoiding um, you know, some sort of liability issue. Uh, but more and more, we're hearing people say, hey, you know, why don't we use this for our you know, political issue or clean energy or oil and gas? Uh, and, and it's just become a problem because it's not the best way to have a long-term prosperous economic investment in these opportunities. Yeah, and I think that's the the important thing. So as we dig into it just a little bit in terms of why we're not producing some of these, you know, crucial minerals, uh, a lot of those uh, you point out in uh, in your blog today that uh, it, it's artificial reasons. It's it's the regulatory stuff that, that seems to be uh, getting in the way for us actually doing that on our own. Uh, it's entirely artificial reasons. You know, it's uh, a lot of the permitting issues are, are probably the biggest factor, uh, and a lot of other sort of regulatory barriers to entry. Uh, you know, there was a, an example of uh, I believe it was in Wyoming. There's a big uh, rare earths project, and it took so long for this project to actually get approved that by the time it was approved, prices had collapsed and the project was no longer profitable. So this is a very consistent. Uh, challenge we hear, you know, the miners, they say, hey, you know, it, you'd have to be crazy to start producing in the United States because it just takes too long to do that. Uh, but we've got resources that we could produce and we know that there's a big market demand for them. So it's just a lot of how the government handles this process that occludes it from the market. 
Yeah, and so many of those uh, artificial reasons that you point out, uh, again, kind of the regulation pieces, but a lot of those regulatory things are, are more about litigation stuff uh, rather than the environmental outcomes. Uh, that's absolutely right. So we look at the big one is this thing called the National Environmental Policy Act. And most often what participants say in that, where they say, why take so long to go through it, is because the document preparation for NEPA has to go through all of these potential scenarios and address all these potential litigation risks and reasons why someone might come up with a lawsuit. Uh, you know, there can be, uh, there was a big project in the DC area where they're going to build a new train line and they didn't address uh, the potential biodiversity loss for one species. They halted this whole uh, project after it was already approved. Uh, and then they found out the species wasn't even present uh, in, the, in the environment where they were going to build. So, you know, addressing these potential unforeseen issues is the big reason it takes so long. Yeah, I want to I want to take this all the way to uh, to President Biden's recent comment uh, about the use it or lose it uh, leases for these energy companies. And uh, I want to go back to to the comment you made about uh, so many of these groups that by the time they go through all of the regulatory things, all of the legal wrangling and all of that, it's no longer profitable to use a lease that they may have. Uh, because the the other costs and the uncertainties as to how long this will really take and and will it be profitable in the end uh, just doesn't stack up. Yeah, I think responsiveness to prices today is a big factor in a healthy market. You know, if investors look at the prices and they say, "Hey, you know, we can bring those resources online in a short amount of time and take advantage of this," that sends a strong signal to them to invest in it. And that increase in production helps to bring costs down and moderate price impacts to consumers. Conversely, if it takes too long, the investors are going to say, well, you know, yeah, the prices are high nowadays, but are they going to be high in, you know, three, four, five years when I can actually start production? And then when we talk about minerals, it can be much longer. It can be, you know, seven to 10 years or even longer. So, uh, the timing of production is huge in taking advantage of these market opportunities. Yeah, and then, and what are some of the uh, the minerals specifically that we're looking at um, in, in terms of things that might be uh, you know helpful in terms of the clean energy technology? What are they looking at? Uh, lithium is definitely the biggest one. So we have about seven hundred fifty thousand metric tons of lithium reserves in the United States, and uh, that's a, a huge opportunity because you need that for car batteries, for electric vehicles. You need it for a lot of uh, any kind of energy storage technology and the lithium demand is just skyrocketing, uh, you know, mainly because of EVs, but also, you know, your cell phone or all these electronic components that require it. And most of that is produced in Australia, though the actual refining, a lot of that is controlled by China. So there's a big concern about, okay, you know, are these supply chains vulnerable to foreign influence? And then the other one is cobalt, which is a big component of EV batteries. You can avoid that, but if you use other minerals, it can reduce the uh, efficiency of the batteries. And there is more opportunity for production in the United States, but it's sometimes with other minerals that's produced. So unclear yet how that's going to shape up. But most cobalt right now is produced uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And a lot of that's produced with child labor, actually. So there's a, a big ethical concern with how do we source these minerals 
at low cost and in a way that's ethically responsible. Yeah, so many, uh, so many hurdles to uh, to clear there as well. So as as you look at uh, as you look forward on this, uh, <laughs> how many more uh, Defense Production Act uh, challenges are we going to have here in the <laughs> in the next little bit? What are you what are you watching for? And, and uh, again, what what can actually be done? Uh, I love the way you framed it in in your piece that uh, a lot of this use use of the uh, Defense Production Act is, is really kind of a whack a mole. Uh, on some of these barriers, but the government's the one creating it. It's sort of the uh, arsonist with the uh, fire hose in hand. Uh, but how do we get past that? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's hard to say exactly how many there will be in the future, except to say that this is probably not going to be the last time. <laughs> uh, you know, in 2018, they were considering, uh, or the Trump administration was considering the DPA to try to boost the coal industry, and they backed down from that because it, it didn't really fit with the um, yeah, the, the market dynamics at the time. Uh, and then 2020, it was used during the pandemic. With, uh, I don't want to speculate too much on that because there's not a lot of information as to how successful or unsuccessful it might have been for ventilators and PPE and things like that. But then with the oil and gas price spikes, the Biden administration was toying with the idea of using it. And uh, now, you know, again, or now they've said, okay, we are going to use it for clean energy. Uh, this is just this tool that politicians keep going to the well for because they look at the regulatory barriers and these governmental barriers to market entry and they're saying, oh man, that's really difficult for us to actually address or it's going to require some level of bipartisanship, some congressional bill, or it's going to take some you know, multi-year process to reform the regulations that the, uh, that the administration has a hand in. And they just say, oh, we'll just do the DPA. And that's exactly the wrong approach to this. Because if you keep going down that road where you're not addressing the fundamental barriers to market entry, you're just going to end up with an economy where uh, industry is saying, hey, instead of actually investing in the product or trying to produce more or become more competitive, it's more fruitful to lobby the government to get yeah. some political fast lane through uh, through these barriers. Uh, and that's exactly what we don't want to see. Uh, great insight as always. Phil Rossetti, resident senior fellow with the R Street Institute, uh, studies energy and energy policy. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That is the danger point uh, uh, for all of those things because it doesn't solve the underlying issues or create any certainty uh, or confidence uh, investors, businesses uh, on any of these fronts. We'll continue to hope that uh, both sides can actually get to some regulatory reform uh, that I think would actually help us uh, in the long run. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.